That's what he intended for us to learn. It's, it's God's visual aid to explain our relationship to him through Christ. And uh, um, it's wonderful for that. Also the story of how it was built. As we have learned, there was the... There was the um, God gave them the instructions for it as a part of their covenant with him. And then they faced a major crisis which showed that they were not worthy to have God dwell among them and they were not worthy to, to, uh, to build this, this visual aid that was going to teach them and teach God about the, about the, uh, teach them and teach the world about the things of God. Uh, and in that, in the Old Testament even, we see grace. We see God's forgiveness, God's mercy, and God's grace in allowing these people to continue their covenant and uh, particularly to, to, to build this, this house and to have these ordinances and the priesthood, which are a picture of, of him and of their relationship with him. And so we see God's grace clearly exhibited there in his relationship with the people of Israel. And what we're going to do now is get into the construction of the tabernacle. And this will go really rather quickly. Um, I just want to point out the, the major flow of this and then and then give you a few notes so let's let's bow for prayer our heavenly father we come to you tonight and thank you for the word of god thank you for revealing yourself to us in the bible thank you for preserving your word throughout the ages that we might have it here tonight to learn about you and to learn about our relationship with you through so many facets of this of this study from the things that that we see in the tabernacle itself to the, act, the actions and the events surrounding the building of the tabernacle and, and our relationship to you through Christ. So we, we ask your guidance and your blessing now and thank you for this time and thank you for this portion of your word and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the construction of the tabernacle really falls along three or four lines. One is we see the preparation for the construction the Lord, the Lord lays out for them that they are to keep the Sabbath day. The first thing that he tells them relative to constructing the tabernacle after the crisis is passed in Exodus chapter 35, it tells us Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said unto them, These are the words which the Lord hath commanded that ye should do them. Six days shall work be done, but in the seventh day there shall be to you an holy day a sabbath of rest to the lord whosoever doeth work therein shall be put to death ye shall kindle no fire throughout your habitations upon the sabbath day so right here even as they are getting ready to step off into this major construction project the lord wants to remind them about the sabbath and then we see them take up the offering in uh, in chapter 35 and that takes up a significant portion of the, of the chapter. And, and what we see is that it's, it's simply a statement of what they were told to, to give at the beginning. There in, in chapter 25, whenever the Lord told them to take an offering, he listed for them the, the elements of the offering. And then here in chapter 35, we see that they gave those particular elements. Then we're introduced again to the supervisors. The, one of the last things that the Lord showed Moses when he was up in the mountain is who the supervisors of the construction of the tabernacle were going to be. And we see those, we see those folks talked about and we are told that they are enabled by the Holy Spirit to do what they're about to do. And then we see them build. 
And this is what takes up the majority of this time. And we're, we're not going to take the time to go through and read and talk about all this because it's, it's really a, uh, a revisiting of what was talked about in Exodus chapters 25 through 31. Only it says, instead of saying, you shall build such and such and so and so, it says, and they built such and such and so and so. So, so uh, of course, what the Lord is doing is that, he, is that he, through the word, is reviewing and emphasizing this is what the tabernacle was like. But it's, suffice it to say that, that he tells them about the structure of the tabernacle. This is the boards and the and the, the curtains that went over it. And then he reviews with them the furniture. Uh, it says that they built the ark, they built the table, they built the, the lampstand, they built the, the, uh, the altar of incense, they built the laver, they, they built the, um, the altar for the burnt offering, and, and then they uh, built the courtyard to go around it. And then the last part of the building that he tells us about was the garments for the priesthood. And again, it just goes through and tells us that they made this and they made that and they made the other thing. And then we see the completion. And in the completion, there are two main parts. One is that it was presented to Moses. And then, and, and in the presentation to Moses, it simply says, and they gave Moses the ark and they gave him the altar of incense and they gave him the labor and they gave him the, uh, the, the tabernacle. They gave him the court. They, so again, we're, we're just listing uh, the things over again. And then finally, we see it, we see the tabernacle set up. All of chapter 40 is the is the account of how they set up the tabernacle. And let's just go to chapter 40 to begin with. Um, in chapter 40, in uh, the instructions for setting up the tabernacle are given there in um, in verses 1 through 16. Those are, those are the instructions where God said, you shall do this. And the Lord was telling him, put these things here and put these things here and put this here and put that there. Again, emphasizing, you know, you're going to have the, you're going to have the courtyard roundabout. Then you're going to have the, the altar of the burnt offering. And then in between the altar of the burnt offering and the tabernacle, you're going to have the labor. And then when you go inside the tabernacle, you've got the, you have the table on the, on the one side, you have the lamp stand on the other. You have the altar of incense. And, and he just goes through and tells him exactly where to place these things relative to the structure of the, of the tabernacle. And then he tells him to, to anoint um, Aaron and his sons for the priesthood. And after the Lord told him that, then in, in uh, verses 17 through 33... We, we are told how Moses set up the tabernacle. And, and again, this is a review of the commandments that God just gave him. It says that he placed this here and he placed that there and he did this and he did that. So we're, we're getting a lot of review uh, about how things were done in the tabernacle. And then finally, in chapter 40, verse 34, we see the cloud and the glory of the Lord came and filled the tabernacle. So that being said, though, that's generally what happens. Generally what happens in the, in the uh, constructing of the tabernacle is that we see some preparations regarding a reminder to keep the Sabbath day in the midst of this project, the call to bring the offering, and then the introduction to the supervisors. That's it. Then we see them actually build it. We go through all the details for, well, let's see, chapter 36, 37, 38, and 39. For four chapters... We're told they made this, they made that, they made the other thing. And then when it's completed, they bring it to Moses. And then it says Moses set it up. 
Moses set it up. Now, I don't know that Moses personally went and did every movement, but Moses was definitely the one that was responsible for putting it all together and getting it set up correctly. And then the Lord's presence came down upon it. Now, that being said, I'd like to point out a few... um, I'd like to make a few observations. So, let's go back. Uh Uh-oh, my tummy just bumped my thing. Let's see here. I would like, to, uh, would like to point out some interesting things. Number one, as I've already noted, was, was that the Lord reminded them to keep the Sabbath. Even though they were going to be doing this great work for God, the Lord still wanted them to take some time to rest. And of course, that has some pretty significant implications for us, doesn't it? Some, some significant implications for us that, that although we are engaged in the Lord's work, there, it is appropriate for a time for resting and refreshing. Uh, the Lord is not interested in seeing us uh, drive ourselves into the ground and break ourselves off, you know, so to speak. We, we have to learn to pace ourselves in the, in the ministry. And the Lord wanted them, as a, part of their, as a part of their work, they were to take that time to honor the Sabbath day as part of their covenant. That's, that's very practical. Of course, we know that it was a sign of the covenant between them and God that they were going to have a rest. But you know, I think as I get a little, as I get older, I think it becomes more significant to me that one of the differences between true believers in the Lord and people that don't truly believe in the Lord is this: people that truly believe in Christ and have accepted Christ as their Savior have rest in their hearts, even when we're in the midst of stress, turmoil, difficult circumstances in life. We still have a place of rest in our heart and life and we we don't have to be you know running around like uh, chickens with our heads cut off trying to trying to achieve this and that and I'm not I'm definitely not a proponent of us being lazy or anything like that I always remember the immortal words of brother Charlie Ashcraft on the subject of laziness and that's this he he said this quote a man that will tell you he's not lazy will lie to you about other things also <laughs> So I know that's, that's something that we all have to deal with is the tendency to, to laziness. But, but on the other hand, sometimes we, we can compensate, overcompensate, to the path, to overcompensate for laziness to the point that we are um, running ourselves into the ground and, and bringing premature health problems on ourselves because we're, we're not pacing ourselves. So that's, that said, let's go on to another note I'd like to, like to share with you. And that is that although... We have Bezalel and Aholiab as the primary supervisors. Everyone was involved in helping build the tabernacle. If you will, come with me to chapter 35 and look at verse 10. Exodus 35:10. In fact, they prepared the offering that they were going to bring. Exodus 35:10 says, And every wise-hearted among you shall come and make all that the Lord hath commanded. So we're not just looking at these two guys that were doing all the work. Every wise-hearted among you shall come and help out. Also look with me at verse 20. And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses after he had told them to bring the offering. They departed from the presence of Moses and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up and everyone whom his spirit made willing, and they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation and for all his service and for the holy garments. And they came, both men and women, as many as were willing-hearted and brought bracelets and earrings and rings and tablets. 
and jewels of gold and every man that offered offered an offering of gold unto the Lord and every man with whom was found blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen goat's hair uh, red skins of rams and badger skins brought them everyone that did offer an offering of silver and brass brought the Lord's offering and every man with whom was found shittim wood for any work of the service brought it and all the women that were wise hearted did spin with their hands and brought that which they had spun, both of gold, of purple, of scarlet, of fine linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred them up in wisdom spun goat's hair. And the rulers brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastplate. And spice and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense. And the children of Israel brought a willing offering to the Lord, every man and woman whose heart made them willing to bring for all the manner of work which the Lord had commanded to be made by the hand of Moses. And of course, those folks were acting as agents of Moses in, uh, in doing that. But it was remarkable that everybody got involved. I wonder if they had not gone through that crisis in which they worshipped the calf and had to be judged and, well, chastened. I wonder if there would have been a, as much willingness to make an offering. You know, the, the fact that they worshipped the calf so showed that they had a real heart problem that had to be dealt with, didn't it? But after that chastening, uh, it, it points out here that everybody, everybody was willing to participate. Something else in, is that giving this offering appeared to take several days. Look at chapter 36, verse 3. And they received to Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of the sanctuary to make it with all. And they brought yet unto him free offerings every morning. And again it says, And all the wise men, all the wise men that wrought all the work of the sanctuary came every man from his work which, which they had made. So, so it appears that it took several days for them to bring the offering. And then the fourth uh, note that I'd like to give you is, they brought more than enough. Look at chapter 36, verses 5 through 7. And they spake unto Moses, saying... Now, now they is referring back to Bezalel and Aholiab. They're in um, verse 1 of chapter 36. And they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. And Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying... Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary so the people were restrained from bringing for the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it and too much. So what a, what a willing heart. Oh, you'll notice it's okay to talk about stuff. They had all, they had all the stuff that they needed. So another, couple of, another couple of notes here before we, before we go. The fifth, fifth point I'd like to make is... is um, it, it points out in chapter 38, verse 8, that the laver was made out of the looking glasses of the ladies. And, and it doesn't tell us any specific detail about any other part of the tabernacle like that. But it, it does point out that the laver was made out of the, well, made out of the brass mirrors that the ladies had. Exodus 38, 8. And he made the laver of brass and the foot of it of brass of the looking glasses of the women assembling which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And, of course, that, that lends itself to, to helping us understand that the labor, the labor is a representative of the word of God. 
Because when we look into the Word of God, we, we see ourselves. And the, and the labor is a representative of the fact that, that in our relationship with the Lord, one aspect of our relationship with the Lord is to stop and take a look at ourselves and make adjustments. Of course, that's what looking glasses are for, aren't they? That's why we have the mirror. First thing in the morning, we get up and we look at ourselves. Right? Because we want to, we want to make sure that we are all adjusted to be presentable for folks that we're going to go see. The sixth point I would like to uh, give you, the sixth note, is the amount of metal that was used. He gives us a, a specific tally of the amount of material that was used here in chapter 38, verses 21 through 31. 38, 21 through 31. And uh, this, is very, this is very interesting. We're given three measurements here, the gira, the shekel, and the talent. The gira, the shekel, and the talent. And uh, uh, if you'll do the math on this, and I'll be glad to share with you my numbers. I didn't get it on the PowerPoint. But, but if you do the math on this, you can, uh, you can uh, learn some specific information uh, about what these different measurements are. Um, the numbers that were given is that there were 603,550 men who each gave a half a shekel. And a half a shekel is a gira. And, and then we're told how many talents of silver that equaled. And that equals 100 talents and then 1,775 shekels. Well, if you do the math, you find out that, that uh, 600,000 giras equals, equals 100 talents. And that, and that, that means that there are 6,000 giras per talents or 3,000 shekels per talent. And if one shekel is one half of an ounce, then that means that there are 1,500 ounces per talent. And that means that a talent is about 94 pounds. So, you know, if you, you can round that to about 100 pounds. But as you read through, read through this, it tells us that there were 29 talents of gold. Now, 29 times, that's 2,900 pounds of gold. Um, 100 talents, so that's about 1,000, a, a I'm sorry, 100,000 pounds of silver. And uh, 70 talents, so that's 70 times 100 um, uh, pounds of, of brass. So, again... There's a lot here. This is a lot of material. And of course you can take that information, find out what the current cost of brass and silver and gold is. And one thing you find out is that this was an incredibly expensive building. Where did, they, where did a bunch of slaves get all of this? Well, uh, I, I didn't find the reference, but, but um, uh, there's a passage here in the book of Exodus that says when they came out of Egypt, they spoiled the Egyptians. The Egyptians were, were so glad to see them go that they were giving them whatever they wanted to get them out. If you remember the ten plagues, the people of, of Egypt, their, their, their land and their families and their cattle and their homes and their crops had been completely destroyed. And they were saying good riddance when the people of Israel left. And, and the scripture says that God put it in the hearts of the Egyptians to give them their, uh, their jewels and their... Uh, and their uh, gold. So they received this from, from Egypt. And then, and then um, the Lord told them to bring it with a willing heart. So you know what would have been natural would have been for those people to have been hoarding that up so that whenever they got to the promised land and got settled in, they could individually be wealthy. 
but instead they they gave it up as the offering to the to the Lord. And then the seventh and last point that I would that I would like to make has to do with the the setup. Come with me to chapter 39, verse verse 43. When the children of Israel brought everything to the Lord, or brought up, brought their offering to, to God, it says in chapter 39, verse 42, According to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel made all the work. And Moses did look upon all the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded. Even so had they done it. And Moses blessed them. Wow. That, wouldn't you like to have been there for that? You know, to to have seen all this material spread out, uh, spread out there in the, in the desert, and see Moses walk around and, and look at it and examine it and make sure that it all looked nice, and and see Moses bless them, especially considering that just uh, several days before Moses had called for for people to take a sword and go in and kill uh, a bunch of them because of their because of their worshiping the calf. So God's marvelous grace. And then we see the Lord's instructions again in chapter 40, verses 1 through 16, and, and we won't go through those, but again, the Lord instructed Moses exactly how to set it up. And then in verses 17 through 33, we're told that Moses did set it up. And then let's go ahead and finish the um, chapter 40 by, by going to verse 34. Well, it says in verse 33, And he reared up the court round about the tabernacle, and the altar, and set up the hanging of the court gate, so Moses finished the work. And of course, sometimes in the scripture it's called the tabernacle of Moses uh, for this very reason. Moses was the supervisor. Moses, as an ancient of the Lord, instructed them for how to build it, and then the people of Israel worked under Moses' uh, supervision, and so in a very real sense it was the tabernacle of Moses. Then, verse 34 then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle now this this cloud didn't just come out of nowhere remember the Lord led the people of Israel by the cloud from the time they were in Egypt up through up through the um, going to Mount Sinai and then the cloud was on Mount Sinai whenever Moses uh, spoke to the Lord there and whenever the Lord spoke to the people of Israel and then whenever Moses went into his tabernacle which was outside the camp to intercede for the people of Israel the cloud w- was there where Moses was was uh, talking with God face to face and now they've constructed the tabernacle and the cloud is now over the tabernacle the Lord is showing this is where I am this is my presence and this is where the term the Shekinah glory Shekinah means presence present not not gifts but presence in the sense of in the sense of present you know here so this is the this is the, where the glory of the lord is is on the tabernacle and moses was not able to enter the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the lord filled the tabernacle one of the things that we've discussed in our church is that is that this is a this is a typical of the empowerment of the church there in acts chapter 2 and that's a there's there's a justification for that one from the context we have the house of God built and the presence of God is manifested there we see the same thing when the temple is built and then whenever the church is established we see the the presence of the Lord manifested but I'd I'd like to point out one other thing to you look with me here in chapter 40 look at verses 9 through 11 relative to relative to the presence of the Lord 
In chapter 40, verse 9, it says, And thou shalt take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle, all that is therein, and shalt hallow it and all the vessels thereof, and it shall be holy. And thou shalt anoint the altar of the burnt offering and all his vessels and sanctify the altar. It shall be an altar most holy. And thou shalt anoint the laver and his foot and sanctify it. And then in verse 15, And thou shalt anoint them, that is Aaron and, and his sons, as as, uh, as thou didst anoint their father, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. This whole thing was anointed. And we, we see from other scriptures that anointing is a, is a, um, a picture of someone uh, receiving an enabling of the Holy Spirit. So we see the tabernacle anointed and then we see the cloud and the glory come down upon it. Uh, so, so what we're seeing here is a, is a representation of the presence of and power of God on the on the tabernacle and of course as the people of Israel take the tabernacle and then use it for its purpose and God's purpose was that they would come and bring offerings and have a visual aid as to how they are to approach God and how they are to have a relationship with God uh, we see that this is God's anointed God's appointed place for people to come and learn about him